Hi, welcome again to Myth Magic Medicine with me, Denise Billima here. Today, my guest is Tanya Wansom, who is an American-born, American-trained physician and PhD, uh, whose specialty is infectious disease. And she's going to talk to us about emigrating the other way. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me, especially since it's nighttime there. Yes, it's in the future. I'm talking to you from the future, which uh -huh. is exciting. <laughs> At least we're on the same day. Sometimes if it's nighttime there, then I'm like, I'm the next right. day. <laughs> I, I take a lot of calls with Australia. It's the same. Yeah, yeah we're totally <laughs> the same. But thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. What, what do you think is really, really positive about your, your, the, the, the career aspect of your life? And what do you think the biggest negative is? So uh, that's a really good question. So I think one of the biggest um, positives has been the ability for me to really um, create my own career and my own path uh, to do something a little bit non-traditional and also Was this uh, within because you're you're dual, dual national. Yeah, like so it just allowed you national. more. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, um, but. Yeah, we can talk a little bit more about like my career path and why I think that's um, interesting. But I also uh, believe, you know, by doing the work that I do, like I'm uniquely positioned to have the greatest impact and being here and using, you know, my skills, my degrees um, and my past experiences um, really allows me to make like a unique and lasting impact that I don't think I necessarily would have had if I uh, I think it would just be a different kind of impact if I stayed mm -hmm. in the United States. And so yeah. I'm really grateful for that. And it's also for me a way to give back um, because uh, during, so my parents are um, both in medicine. My dad's a physician, my mom's a nurse, but um, you know, during the late seventies, like the U S didn't have enough physicians. So they were giving green cards to many, you know, physicians from different countries. And obviously I'm really grateful that my dad had that opportunity, you know, so that I was born and raised in the U.S., but it also contributed to a massive brain drain, actually, well, of physicians. Like we yeah, had that from Britain, you know. too. <laughs> yeah, of course, like from many countries. Um, but at that time in, the, in Thailand, there were three medical schools. And so my uncles also, you know, immigrated to the U.S. and are physicians. But um, one of my mom's eldest brothers, you know, 95 percent of his class left Thailand and you know like as a low middle income country at that time you know they had invested all this in like trying right. to train the next generation of doctors and then they're like awesome there weren't any mm -hmm. yeah we have no doctors that we spent like six years training and so I mean I see both sides of it but I think that me coming back you know is kind of like a way obviously they they don't have that like same challenge um, anymore right now. And actually it's interesting because a lot of people train in the U S and then come back to Thailand, um, and practice here, actually we practice medicine here. And so oh, I think, so, so you mean people, Thai or, or people who, people whose parents like you, parents born no, in America like, who then come over or these are Thais who go and train in the U S and then come yeah, back. they're like Thais who go and do residency and or fellowship yeah. in the U S and then come back and practice medicine in Thailand. So, um, yeah, that wasn't that common. That was like not common at all, like in my parents' <laughs> generation. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's one of the biggest positives is I feel like, you know, I am contributing and it's kind of full circle, you know, for our family in a way. And then 
Uh, one of the biggest negatives is I don't have a Thai clinical license. Um, I do have a research license. And so I'm able to see, you know, um, participants who enroll in clinical studies or clinical trials. And I also, you know, get to consult. A lot of um, physicians, you know, will call me for consults, et cetera. But I really do miss actually having my own patients and then um, practicing clinical medicine because I did um, enjoy that. And obviously we spend a lot of time training to do that. And so I don't, um, I feel like that, that's that, one that of the has biggest to, has to be kind of a trade-off because you wouldn't have as much time to, to do the research and to, yeah, or so to do countries. all the let's, work. let's back up a little bit because that was perhaps okay. unfair to put that right at the front, but it's staying there. <laughs> let's, why don't you explain briefly? Yes, you were a little American kid, Thai kid speaking Thai for a little while and then mostly English because of school. Yeah. And you went to college, obviously. You left Michigan to come closer to me in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. Yeah. What did you study when you were an undergrad? So as did, an you undergrad did you know that you would go into medicine? It was your intention um, to go into medicine at that my point? My parents did. <laughs> so my parents, you know, are traditional Asian parents. And since they're in medicine, they're like the pathway to success. It's to go into medicine. So I was resistant. Um, I think, but uh, in college, actually, I was very interested in and got interested in, in like HIV AIDS activism. Mm -hmm. And then also, as I mentioned, I was very interested in medical anthropology and how culture affected like people's perceptions about medicine and medic medical care. Um, and so I don't know. I thought about law. I thought about a lot of different things, but then I, uh, yeah, my parents were like, if my mom, my mom specifically, you know, was like, if you want to be part of our family, then oh, <laughs> like must go to medical school. Or essentially she said like, you know what, you can do anything you want after you graduate yes. from medical school. Yes. And get, I was like, a career just, first. Yeah. yeah, but then I'll be a doctor. Um, but anyway, I felt that um, it was a possibility. So I did, yeah, um, after in between college and med school. So actually, I did Chinese studies in college. And I was like, very interested in China and wanted to go to China. There was like some burgeoning HIV activism going on at that time. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were very strongly against it, because they were like, well, some of those people you know, get disappeared, like that are talking oh. about HIV. And, you know, it's great that you're like an idealistic, like 20 something year old, but why don't you go to Thailand? Because there's actually a lot of interesting HIV work there. I hadn't spent any time in Thailand growing up, um, didn't really speak Thai, you know, and I just spent mm -hmm. like four years and I, I studied abroad in China as well. So I was like, Chinese was pretty good oh. at that point. <laughs> um, so then I was like, well, I'm going to go to Thailand, but actually, um, that was life-changing for me. So I did get a Fulbright and I um, was working at the Thai Red Cross AIDS Research Center and they were conducting some of the first trials of HIV, like antiretroviral therapy in this entire region. And so um, I did some very interesting work there. So I did like activism and the fact that I was working with a local community organization that targeted mostly um, sex workers, mm -hmm. uh, trying to get them educated and involved um, about HIV. And so that was very eye-opening for me, you know, coming from a small town in Michigan, not having a lot of exposure, you know, to sex work. 
Um, Stranger, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then just seeing like, you know, how did sex work really come about here, you know, during the Vietnam War and, um, you know, for American soldiers, for, you know, lots of allied soldiers for, you know, R&R and then how that was Mm -hmm. built up. So, I mean, um, just learning about that and yeah, all the power dynamics and just like being in a position where, you know, I was trying to help teach them English so they can negotiate like with clients better and thinking about choices and just realizing, you know, like stuff isn't black and white, like real life or whatever. Um, And then also at that time, like there wasn't widespread antiretroviral treatment available. Like the only way that you could possibly get treatment was to enroll in a trial. And Mm -hmm. so I think there was interesting ethics around that. And so I was working on making sure people understood informed consent and just got really interested in clinical trials and how they could be used to, you know, like push and advocate for like life-saving care for people. And so I was an interpreter in the clinic. So there were Australians, um, Dutch people. So this uh, was a collaboration between uh, Thailand. So your, your Thai came back to you pretty quick. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I actually like learned Thai during that year. I like, um, yeah, I spoke some English, but I was really immersed mm-hmm. um, and was uh yeah I really tried just to like speak as much Thai as possible and then I think it was interesting because my parents didn't believe that I spoke Thai and they were like we have no understanding like how can you be an interpreter in a (laughs) clinic and you know their extended family was like Tanya speaks Thai now (laughs) like um, they yeah it's interesting because they speak actually a southern dialect of Thai at home um, and then I, w- I speak central Thai, so I don't really understand you, Southern. Do you, do you now live in the center? Of yeah. So Bangkok okay. and the, that area speaks central. Thai. And most people have, like, if you went to school, um, you know, you would learn the central. Right. Right. Style. It's like yeah. learning Mandarin. It's like, I guess, it's like right learning now. the Queen's English only I've got to get used to yeah. the King's English now. It's exactly. <laughs> so, um, so did that give you more encouragement you wanted to be a doctor at that point it's like were you yeah waiting to go through interviews and stuff yes so then I was like I'm doing infectious disease like this is amazing there's like so you know many ways to contribute it actually I was like if I don't get to med school I'll just like stay in Thailand because there you know there was like amazing civil society um actions at that time you know to get antiretroviral therapy I just felt like it was a really pivotal interesting time to be um involved in both community organizations and like from you know the medical side of things to to say like who is going to be eligible for care and like what what is the you know cd4 cutoff or if you use drugs are you you know can you be eligible? At the beginning, they were like, no, if you're on drugs, like you don't get antiretroviral therapy, you know? So I think it was really interesting time. And yeah, a lot of the activists um, that I worked with at the time are still active in civil society in Thailand. So it's been interesting because they were like, we remember when you like weren't even a doctor yet or 20 years ago when you were like marching with us at parliament and stuff. So I think that yeah, definitely encouraged me to go to medical school. And then I was like, oh yeah, when I'm finished, you know, I'm going to come back and um, do more. And so I think that was really important, um, formative experience for me. And then actually during medical school, like I kept taking time off 
and coming back to Thailand or, you know, doing these small research projects and mm -hmm. keeping in touch um, with different people. And then, um, yeah, even when I did my ID fellowship and my PhD, which was in clinical research from the School of Public Health, it was about HIV hepatitis co-infection and you looking at cohorts in Baltimore and then Bangkok. So um, All right, you were Johns Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. So I I did, you know, work both here and, you know, in Baltimore. So I always kept like uh yeah, working here and like coming back here. And then an opportunity came up when I was finishing fellowship. I was recruited for a position um in Thailand because people knew that I always, you know, had said like I would like to come back. You know, mm -hmm. if there is something available, then like think of me. And they were like, we thought of you. <laughs> you should come <laughs> that you're done and like qualified. So actually, this was sort of in the cards anyway, even that I, I thought you had gone back because your parents went back. And so you thought it would be good for the children. And, and yeah, but no, really, it, you might have been me. the driving. You were the driving force. Yeah, yeah. I was the driving force. I actually, um, you know, thought I would always stay involved in Thailand, but. Um, when I went to medical school, uh, I really thought I would be in academic medicine. And so that was like a big departure for me, you know, like getting an MD PhD. I was like, of course, I'm gonna stay. And I actually did stay. So I, you know, had uh, one like an internal training grant at Hopkins. I was on the mm -hmm. path to, you know, <laughs> just stay on faculty. I was junior faculty. So I had my first, you know, faculty appointment when this position came up, um, you know, was, yeah, working on writing another grant. Um, so it was very difficult, actually, decision for me to leave. Um, and my parents actually, I think, were a little surprised because they, you know, were like, this is your dream. You are at Hopkins <laughs> and like you are staying. And why are you <laughs> thinking about going to Thailand? Although they were encouraging because they were like, you're pregnant. So it is like a good time to go. Um you know, and having young children, de depending where you are, but Thailand, it's very, was very nice, I think, to be here in terms of the ability to have help and just the culture of children, like Thai people love children. And mm -hmm. so I think it's very different, you know, like you would go to a restaurant here and they would be like, it's a baby. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, some people like, from our, you know, Americans, like, would not feel comfortable. I don't think having, like, some stranger being, like, a baby, let me, like, you know, take them and, you know. Let me just walk, walk around the home. restaurant with your child. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> and here that would be, you know, quite common. People would be, like, oh, it's a baby. Let's, like. Is it is it similar to what I think of um, when I go to Indian restaurants? I'm, I'm being British. We got a lot of Indian Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's sort of a assumption if you're a grown-up you're an auntie or an uncle to whichever child is yes, in front exactly. of you yeah yeah <laughs> an you extended know, people... family of huge proportions <laughs> yeah exactly so I think you know that's there people like are happy to see children and um you know like aren't like oh why is your kid like making noise here <laughs> or like taking up space um so yeah, I think it was just like a very different um, welcoming kind of, yeah. So, so did so the actual impetus to actually move to Thailand was a job offer from Thailand? Yeah, it was a okay. job offer from the U.S. military, actually. So they oh, okay. uh, run like a, uh, the U.S. military HIV research program. Well, I'm not 
in the military, but I was a contractor, mm -hmm. but they um, previously had a very actually large program here. They ran like HIV vaccine studies, some cohort studies. Um, uh, the US CDC is here and works a lot with the Thai Ministry of Public Health and for um, quite a long time actually had a clinic here, you know, um, that served um, people at high risk for HIV. And then they use as a platform, I think, for, you know, a bunch of different very interesting studies. And some of those are still ongoing and funded by the military, but I was originally recruited, yeah, as an infectious diseases physician um, to work within that program. And so I did that for a couple of years. And what led to the next pivot? Yeah, oh, yeah, so the next bit was um, during a previous administration, uh, the uh, funding, you know, the priorities of the Department of Defense changed and uh, there was not uh, continued funding actually for some of the work that we had hoped to continue here. And so um, a large portion of the program and, and the um, studies that I, I was working on, they were just like, yeah, we're just not doing that anymore okay. and so you know that's I think that is the downside of being a contractor or you know oh yeah so you can you can walk into work on Monday and walk out Monday evening unemployed yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and so they were like well you know exactly the funding mm -hmm. didn't come through as we expected and so I uh it was like it was a little bit like that not you know that sudden but it was like an unexpected um kind of um, exit uh, mm -hmm. at, at that time. But uh, I really think it was difficult at the time because I was like, oh no, I should, you know, but then you're like, regrets, like I should have stayed, like Fine. why did I do this? Um, but actually I think that was like definitely for me, like in hindsight, of course, a blessing in disguise because it made me really think about, did I want to be here? Did we want to go back? This was like right before COVID. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to stay here. I had an opportunity actually to like return to my roots and work with a local uh, new kind of nonprofit social enterprise that had just gotten funding from the Global Fund for AIDS, TB, and Malaria to run a community-centered like kind of implementation science um, project um, targeting people who use drugs. So they were like, we want to test and treat people for hepatitis C in the community um, and be the first, you know, study to really do this outside of the hospital, outside of clinic, you know, outside of tertiary care settings, which is at the only time or only place at that time where you could get hepatitis C treatment. And I was like, oh, this is me. Like, you know, <laughs> I am going to come. Yeah. It's like HIV viral hepatitis co-infection. I was like, I love this. I want to work with yeah, marginalized right. population. I've come home again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was kind of homecoming. And I was like, okay, let me try this for a year. And if this project works, then that will be really cool. And, you know, yeah, you know, we'll have like implications for advocacy for public health. And so I did that. And um, I'm still actually um, doing that work now. Uh, it wasn't sustainable, like for a long term, um, just because you know, like my children go to international school and it was a local um, nonprofit. Um, mm -hmm. So they, they were paying, like, they were paying Thai salary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my husband was like, this is great. He's like, I know you're happy. You're like flying all over and doing your mm -hmm. thing. But he was like, let's think about something. So I was like, okay. So I actually um, looked around and, you know, had my eyes open and, you know, just talking to people like in my network, you know, that I, 
was looking for different kind of work and or different projects to work on. And then I started becoming involved in other um, trials, like I mentioned. And so they were looking to start um, this multinational trial, uh, testing a new drug for gonorrhea. And they were like, do you know anything? And I was like, yeah, of course. I was like, you know, all these things are related, like HIV, mm-hmm. sexually transmitted infections. And um, how I originally was approached were like, they were uh, they were having difficulty getting the protocol through the Ministry of Public Health IRB. And somebody was like, um, yeah, you're identified as a person <laughs> who yeah. understands you, may, you may understand these people okay <laughs> yeah how this works and you know you're like um since you're American trained like you also understand you know how people are thinking you know from a European or an American perspective and we're just having trouble understanding or, you know, the people in Geneva we're having trouble understanding like what is going on in Thailand and you kind of need like an a yeah, you know it, cross-cultural yeah, interpretation is not just yeah, words. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think that's like, you know, a lot of actually what I do is is that. Like, yes, of course, I have like technical expertise in infectious disease, but I also can, you know, speak to Thai investigators or the ministry or kind of try to understand what's going on and say mm-hmm. the right things or... Um, you, know, you, is, to... you might have a better idea of what the question actually is. Because yeah. that's often, I think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, when people, um, I think Thai uh, culture is sometimes like, yeah, not so direct mm-hmm. um, or not necessarily not aggressive, but, you know, like some no, things it's may come very, very polite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes. Some things may come off as aggressive and then people will just like withdraw or, you know, uh, it's difficult for them to engage if, you know, somebody's like yelling or um not even yelling but even just like being very direct or raising their voice and so yeah I was hired and it basically came in and helped smooth over I think a lot of sometimes there were misunderstandings but sometimes it was just a matter of being like okay trying to figure out what type people wanted you know or wanted to communicate and what they wanted to communicate and trying to do it in a way that was like palatable I guess yeah, well, so parties. so people really understood they weren't attacking each other. They, yeah. yeah, exactly. So now, or... now, I had thought um, before we met briefly before we started recording that your husband was also Thai, but yeah. as as a Chinese American, was he he was born in the states as well? Yeah, he was okay. born in the states as well. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but first his parents genera- are immigrants. First so generation. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but I wonder, does he? Did he? How easy was it for him to feel integrated in the Thai community? Um, Thai and China is very close to each other, but not exactly the same. (laughs) I think culturally he um, understood, yeah, uh, it much easier. And then even like learning to speak the language. So because he had, you know, uh, background in speaking a tonal language, he went to Thai school here and he could pick it up a lot more Mm -hmm. quickly. I think than somebody who didn't have any background speaking a language with tones, like different Mm -hmm. Tones. And Why so, are you saying the same word over and over and over? Yeah. <laughs> and then he actually looks um very Thai. So m- many people here are like, your husband looks more Thai than you, <laughs> even though you tell say that he's Chinese. They're like, he looks Thai. <laughs> so I think it wasn't so hard for him to integrate. And I think, you know, being in Bangkok, it's such a metropolitan mm-hmm. 
such a huge city that um, later on we were able to meet, um, yeah, a lot of people that are from all over, but also like Americans um, or other English speaking people that he feels at home with. Has he had a similar reasonably smooth path career-wise having moved? So it's very interesting. He's in IT and he's actually kept um, one of the same jobs that he oh, had okay. since we were in Maryland. Um, so he, yeah, I was like, now he's been there for like a long time. Um, but pre-COVID, you know, he was one of the only people who was working remotely. And even when we initially moved here, he was like, hey guys, I'm like going to go to Thailand, you know, when my husband, my, I'm not my husband, my wife, you know, does this project maybe for two or three years, but then I'm going to come back. And so everybody was like, <laughs> okay, first they were like, we don't know, maybe you can work remotely, maybe not. Oh, well, just try. And then it yeah. worked. And then post COVID actually his entire division became remote uh, and stayed remote. Um, so it was an interesting shift because I remember they were it's, like, you can't work remote. And then they were like, not, everybody my, work remote. My husband had this, I mean, we stayed within the States, but we had that sort of issue. So like, I could do exactly the same job because I'm still talking to you on a computer. Even if you're in the same office, we can do yeah. this. Now. People didn't want to move, but having, having been forced through COVID to see that you can work remotely. It, and there's a lot of pushback from people right now. They've got to justify having these expensive offices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, that was part of the reason they made his group remote was they were trying to, yeah, like reclaim office space or maybe they didn't need so much office space. So yeah, so now his entire group is remote. And then, yeah, he's also been able to be an independent consultant. Um, and sometimes he takes on, you know, some other smaller IT projects but the interesting thing for him is he actually works nights so he works eastern time and um I think for him that's probably like the biggest negative yeah. uh is working you know at night maybe he doesn't work all night but he has to be there for still. meetings oh it, yeah what's his, what's his night yeah exactly this is really fascinating. It's, it's quite different from the previous 12 interviews <laughs> because, because it's been, you know, lots of different countries are being represented. And but but let's talk a little bit about attitudes to healthcare then and and really life altering things like the attitude to death. Mm -hmm. um, the, the impetus to this was from Tatiana, who's in both season two as an American doctor and in in season three as a, a, an immigrant doctor. And she said, when I was just chatting with her once, um, oh, you, you can't tell somebody bad news. It wasn't allowed. And several other people in, in this series, uh, by the time people are watching you, all of those are now available. <laughs> um, is that you, you would perhaps be really, really truthful to the family gently, but you never tell the patient which is not going to fly in America unless the person is incompetent. So yeah. what's the attitude like there? What's the... So I think that's somewhat similar, especially with the older generation. Like, um, for example, you know, if someone had cancer, um, traditionally some people, yeah, exactly. Like you could tell a family member, but maybe my parents' generation, like they wouldn't tell the actual patient. I think that's changing a lot now um, and people, you know, with more information do want to know or uh, 
yeah, want to be more active participants in their healthcare. And so I think um, that's definitely changing. I think it's also because um, there is a lot of Western influence here. And like I said, a lot of people here go to train actually mm-hmm. in um, the UK or the US, for example, and then they return. And then Thailand, interestingly, is also, you know, a hub in this region or one of the centers for medical excellence. So like people would come here um, for healthcare. So like Singapore, Thailand. It's one, it's one of the major uh, medical tourism spots. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. And yeah. it's like now people are also into medical tourism. And so, um, yeah, so I think it's it's interesting. And so, that, you know, obviously that has impacted like how healthcare is um, delivered mm-hmm. and um, the style in which, you know, people discuss yeah discuss uh, is the attitude towards the inevitability of death (laughs) at some point um is it understood differently there is there a different i think yeah traditionally yeah so the national um religion although you know there are other religions here but the majority of people i think do still identify as buddhist and so Mm -hmm. um or theravada buddhist specifically and so i think um yes, like inevitably there is death. And then if you uh, are are Buddhist, you most likely uh, do believe that my family is Buddhist, like in reincarnation. And so that, you know, like you would have another life and mm-hmm. you've had lives before this as well. Um, and so I think that people do, you know, have a different view of death and there's maybe less, although sometimes I see it more, you know, that where people are like, do everything. Um, I think there's a little, there's sometimes I, I can see more of that here, you know, that's like coming from the U S where they're like anything to like prolong. But I, but I think traditionally here, it's been like, well, yeah, like that's futile, you know, that, that, that care is like futile and like, you know, or you could just like go easily or, you know, it's time to like go to the next life, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is, the the end so um yeah I do think that there is traditionally a different kind of view of death of both um people and also other things so our dog died last year and I was thinking about that because they at the temple um they also had like a pet crematorium so we were able to go there and um have like a little ceremony for him but I was like this is kind of nice and yeah talking to the helps the children yeah, and then the children, you know, were there with us, and then we were like, "Do you think?" Yeah, and then they were like, "Oh, we hope Yoda, you know, mm-hmm. if he's a dog again, like that he has like a nice family, or where do you think he is now?" And I was like, "I don't know, we don't know." <laughs> yeah, and there's so a reason I think for that, that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that is interesting, or um, mm-hmm. that people talk about more. One thing that I also think is interesting about death and like the culture of death here is um, one thing that we had talked about before about like how, you know, everything's like an extended family. And so you would go to like a funeral here of someone who you didn't know, but like they were a family member of someone you might be close to, for example, mm-hmm. like like that you worked with. So my uncle, who, you know, was the first person in my um, parents' generation to immigrate to the U.S. and help bring my mom over um, back in the 70s, passed away. It was a little bit after COVID, so a few years ago. But I remember, like, 
the people I worked with, you know, doing the Hep C project, like they sent mm -hmm. a wreath and like, yeah, close colleagues came to the funeral, you know, they've never mm -hmm. met him like right. ever in their lives, but like knew that he was an important person to me. And um, yeah, we're just there like for support. And that is very common, you know, in mm -hmm. Thailand. So I think that's been interesting for me to see too, like how people come together around death in a different way. Because like in the US, you wouldn't, that would not be common, you know, I think like if I, um, yeah, like a colleague that you maybe worked with in clinic, you know, if somebody close to right. you. If it was somebody that like worked a, with you, yes, you would definitely. Yeah, exactly. But you wouldn't be like, let me go to your great uncle's, you know, or your cousin, like this person I've never met before to their funeral or, or wake or whatever. But here, um, it's very common and yeah, kind of like expected in a way, um, you know, and yeah, people were apologizing that they couldn't come. And I was like, I didn't expect like any of you, you know, <laughs> like it's nice or you know, to send, you know, something or um, a donation, people would like donate in the name of the person who had passed away. That's um, nice. Yeah. So I, I think that's been interesting for me to learn about all these like, yeah, different traditions that we ne didn't necessarily um, do when we were growing up just because I wasn't surrounded by any Thai community. Right. <laughs> did, did they, they didn't sort of, did, did, did Michigan choose them rather than they chose Michigan? Yeah. Um, and, and in a way, so my dad did residency in Ohio and then he, yeah, he, like a friend of a friend was like, there's not enough doctors in Michigan. And, um, because, you know, there are, there are auto workers, they have really good health insurance, <laughs> you know, with the unions. And so they're like, this is a good place to like come because there's not enough people. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that's like the story of so many immigrants, right? It's like somebody knew somebody and then they just like ended up there. And then it's like 40 years later there or 50. Unclave of ties there now. Yeah, there are more Thai people there now, but there were many more in Chicago area. And, and there, you know, there was a Thai temple there. So we would go there sometimes like at New Year mm -hmm. um, to go to the temple and, and do things. So I think people who grew up like in, in cities with Thai temples, a lot of them did like go to Thai school Mm -hmm. on the weekends and learn like traditional Thai dance and like yeah Thai did, festivals. Did, you, did your parents allow you to sort of drop Thai when you entered school because it uh, sounds like they, they no, had very strong, they, strong opinions on your career choices so I don't yeah know. no they really wanted to speak Thai with me but I, I find that this is very common and it's true even like people who are living in Thailand um you know since our kids go to international school a lot of the Thai parents or are complaining that their kids only speak English to them. And um, I think they tried and then they were like, this is a losing battle. Like, what are we going to really do? Like they tried to speak Thai around us and then to me for like a certain amount of time. But actually now, like my parents almost exclusively speak English to me. They're kind of just used to it. And then I'm like, can you mm -hmm. speak Thai to like my kids? And they're like, oh, we forgot. And then I don't know. <laughs> well, I think you, as, you, as you explained, they speak South and not Central. So yeah, yeah. They can speak Central Thai, though, like, because other Thai people who are not from their region, they, they you know, they Have speak to. Thai. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. They, they're, I think they're just used to it. And then, yeah, of course, like with my husband, they're like, well, we speak, you know, English with Chris. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're funny. Okay. So this, like I said, this is, this is different from the other 12 interviews because you went a different way. And so at 
pretty much everybody will know the basics about how Americans learn to learn medicine. <laughs> don't have to go over. Yeah. Do you feel there were any? Well, you weren't practicing clinically at any point in Thailand when you were with the with the American. It was all. Yeah, like, like I only, I mean, I could see patients, but they must be enrolled in like a clinical trial right. or a clinical study. And so even now I do see, you know, in the, in the community study that I am a part of where we test and um, treat drug users for HIV or hepatitis, STIs and things, I do um, get to talk to patients in that capacity and then provide care like within Right, the, right. You're, under you're, the umbrella of like you a are study. a consultant to the other medical people there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not sure you can answer this since you haven't worked clinically, you know, the way you would have in the states. But did you see any? Did anything strike you? This, this is always the question to the immigrant doctor. Yeah. What struck no, you so, as the strangest thing about American medicine, or the best thing about American medicine? What was so? I think a good thing about American medicine, or at least I think my training, and I think this is partially just me too, right? Is like, oh, I want the patient to understand, and mm -hmm. you know, like be involved in their care. And I think it's partially also just like the volume, and you know, depending where you are, of course, if you're like the only doctor uh, I remember like on, in one of my fellowships here when I was in med school, you know, I had a year in Chiang Mai and going to the infectious diseases clinic. I mean, they had to see, you know, like a hundred people in like not that many hours right. in their HIV clinic. So yeah, you can't spend like 40 minutes with yeah. every patient being like, do you understand like your CD4 count and you know what's going on? And so I think, um, and yeah, I think culturally, like the expectation is like, well, I'm the doctor. So like, I know, you know, what's like best for you. And it's a little bit patriarchal, like mm -hmm. patriarchal where they're like, this is what you have to do. And like, there's no discussion about it. Um, so, you know, I think that maybe is a downside. Um, it would, would not, it'd be nice if it was a little more measured, but also acknowledging that the doctor probably knows more about it than the patient of course there's, yeah. there's there's people who have got some strange syndrome rather and they know so much about that one thing but yeah yeah so I think like when I get to see patients I actually do be asked on like okay you've had HIV for like so long and you're well controlled and you take the medicine every day because like the doctor told you to so like Thai mm -hmm. people are known for actually being like quite super like adherent um, in general, but yeah, I just, I'm like, do you understand like what this number means or whatever? And so I think people are surprised and, um, yeah, some of them are like really happy that, you know, I would take an interest in, in, in teaching them or like trying to answer questions that they have or be like, you can ask me any question. Like, you know, I'm mm -hmm. not going to be offended or embarrassed. And even when I do these like community workshops where we're training, like, drug users to do pure outreach I'm like ask me anything like it could be you know the craziest thing um and yeah there are very interesting questions and some of them I'm like I've never thought of that you know <laughs> like um so I, I I like that uh part about I mean not all doctors are like that either in the U.S. but I think at least like generally people are willing to have a conversation or I think if a patient it's, it's is the time constraints really yeah no strong. totally like primary care like that's yeah. not happening all the time but I think you know people are you know do you want the patients to be like interested and 
they they can ask what yeah of course to like a yeah. certain extent but and um, do as much as they can to control their illness not have it yeah yeah. yeah exactly yeah. um so I think that is one thing that I've appreciated about the thing that I don't you know the healthcare system in the U.S. I'm sure many people have talked about it but just like how insurance is set up and you know I don't know I think that there's not you know, true safety net um, for so many people uh, is probably like the worst thing. And yeah, of course, like, you know, you came from NHS or, I mean, there is still national healthcare in Thailand. Do, do, you, do you get everything? And would you get like state of the art, you know, oncology care? No, but I mean, you still- At least there's a level, level paying, there's, yeah, there's a base playing field. Yeah. yeah, level of healthcare and you wouldn't necessarily go bankrupt or, you know, if you were pregnant, you could go to the hospital and have your child where I feel like in the U.S., like sometimes that's not, you know, the case or people are like scared to go. I think correctly. Or they put it off and then it costs even more because yeah, it's so exactly. far advanced. Yeah. But even for little things, like I was so... Um, thankful, you know, we have like this global travel insurance, especially when we go to the States, but yeah, my six-year-old like was doing something ridiculous, <laughs> like at his grandparents' house. And like, I don't know what he was doing. Oh, I think he was trying to like do karate or something with his yeah. brother and then like fell and cut his, you know, like mm -hmm. scalp on the, the edge of the fireplace or whatever. But he, yeah, he had to go and get it was a laceration I was like oh, you're gonna need stitches or staples or something so we end up getting staples but if we didn't have insurance it was like a lot of money you know to go to the urgent mm -hmm. care I was like I wish I had a stapler I would have done it but um <laughs> but you don't yeah. carry that stuff around with you anymore <laughs> yeah exactly but I you know um yeah and I I'm like even if we you know weren't sure like you know we could have afforded it as like a to person like working family but I could if you know it was it it was like it was more how much was it I think like without insurance it was like eight hundred dollars or something you know like I I feel like for a simple laceration yeah for like five staples or something yeah yeah, yeah so I was just like I there are see... there are times when the American the cost of American healthcare is just amazing one of my sons was in a car accident and so oh I was, God. I, of course, he was fine. He walked away from the ER fine, but he got checked out. And I, I remember looking through the bill because I had the, the certain amount would be covered by our health insurance. And, yeah. and I was going through it and I'm like, how do you charge a thousand dollars for Betadine? Yeah. Right. dollars from Betadine. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And then you like, of course, my people. So I think that is crazy so you can get really excellent healthcare in thailand for not that much money <laughs> now, yeah now, a fraction of that but, but what is what's the dollar for dollar doesn't make sense because you know everything else costs less my, my youngest son actually um went on a, a volunteer thing um to thailand when he was 13 Oh, and, wow. and he was like the richest kid in the, I mean, all the American kids he was with were, were like ridiculously wealthy. And he was walking around like, they're giving away whole meals for $2. <laughs> yeah. Now you can still actually get some meals on the street for not that much. Yeah. It would be like three to $5. I think that's the interesting part about Thailand. Like, yeah. In Bangkok, you can get still meals for $3. So, 
but you can also get like Michelin stars so you could spend like right. you know oh yeah somebody somebody would be happy um, to take your money everywhere in the world <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but it's interesting that you can there is such a gamut here that yeah like you can still get a two or three dollar meal um many places uh in Bangkok and then yeah you could also spend like thousand dollars or something you know yeah. crazy if you wanted to at the high-end restaurants we've um, been we've been chatting for a while so before we go please please call me again I'd love to continue talking but <laughs> before we go um is there anything you'd like to tell America in general whoever's listening to this uh, many of whom would be doctors um about the work you're actually doing now now you've you've started your own consultancy yeah so I think um yeah if I wanted to talk to American doctors I think you can always embrace um looking beyond your degree I think you know we spend so much time being like well the only thing I know how to do is be a doctor and have this really narrow view of what that means Mm -hmm. um, whether it be clinical medicine or um you know, like teaching in a med school. So, you know, I, I also had that very traditional view. Of, um, I mean, not everybody, you know, is thinking about academic medicine or like, you know, the, what is it? Like the, the triumvirate of like clinical medicine, teaching and research. And so I was like, I like love all those things. I'm going to like do all of them. But I think there are so many different um, career pathways or like opportunities out there. Um that you can just let, yeah, like keep an open mind and it's never too late to do something different um, with your degree. You you do some um, career coaching with people? Yes. So I also do career coaching if people are interested um, in making a change. It could be, you know, non-traditional or not. So I know that I have a a, quite a non-traditional career path, but um, yes, I also do career coaching and I have a YouTube channel that I haven't posted on in a while but I should again um where I just talk about it's hard to find time especially with two children (laughs) yeah but I just talk about um yeah coaching has really like impacted me and like changed my life and just um little tools from like everyday life about how I approach um yeah I think just like the daily ups and downs of life and I will do one um soon about traveling because like we talked about I have been traveling a lot for work lately and it's like a very good um microcosm where I think there's many opportunities when traveling to practice you know all different sorts of tools like mindfulness um probably hypnosis too like even yes. like self-hypnosis I, I was like, thinking more like acceptance yeah exactly. <laughs> while sitting in an airport waiting for a plane to finally yeah. show up <laughs> exactly or like how to deal with disappointment because mm your bag is lost or whatever so yeah the, yeah the very definitely. the very reason you went somewhere is closed today yes <laughs> yeah uh so I would want yeah American doctors like you don't need to feel stuck you know I think our training I, I, I do have a few British doctors to listen to this so you want to oh yeah British, British doctors, doctors have an equal not necessarily yes. equal burnout but they've certainly got a lot of the same no, issues. I think there is challenges yes yeah. um for sure from hearing from my British friends, but I think, you know, you don't need to feel stuck. And I'm sure you would agree, Denise, like there's so many things that you can do um, with medicine, like inside or outside of medicine. And I, you know, I'm really grateful for my medical training. I would encourage people to look at all the options, not necessarily that they want to jump ship now, 
but just yeah. realize how much else is out there and have a yeah if i had exactly. known i could have been a hypnotist 30 years ago i would have been a hypnotist 30 years ago whilst practicing medicine <laughs> Right. No, I, I, I think that's totally true. So I think, you know, people are doing like all sorts of interesting things and you can too. Do you have the opportunity to teach in the Thai educational system? Do you have people rotating through or is that not? So no, I've actually hosted some American um, res residents oh, here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From my former uh, program who are interested in global health, but um, I am looking into teaching actually they've started some English language um, programs here mm -hmm. uh, like international medical uh, programs actually my father's alma mater and so they had approached me to um, do some teaching there and just even some mentorship because I think you know a lot of people here are interested mm -hmm. in you know doing some postgraduate training and and maybe returning and maybe not so um, I am actually also working on getting my adjunct appointment at Hopkins and so I hope to oh, okay. um, be involved more yeah so you're, you're still climbing you're not at the top you're just sort of climbing up <laughs> yeah or yeah. uh, be involved in like yeah in collaborative research projects or yeah it's fun actually to host when I had a medical or resident now mm -hmm. he's, yeah here was interesting to have him and see like yeah what is the day-to-day -day work like or you know mm -hmm. what am I doing here so Thank you so much for spending this time. This has been great. I hope we meet again soon. And I hope lots of people go and look at the link, which will be in the show notes, uh, both on YouTube and on the regular podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. This was really fun. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>